Hey, what's going on? It's Mike. Uh, welcome to Let's Run Forever, episode 9 of the podcast. I am recording this. I will have now recorded more podcasts than run marathons, so there's that. But uh, for some reason, I'm in a really good mood today, so expect a somewhat entertaining podcast if you uh, haven't been entertained by the other ones yet. I think this one might uh, might be a little more energetic today. I don't know why I'm really in a good mood, just uh, maybe because it's Monday and I'm not working. Uh, we're off for uh, Martin Luther King Day. So, um, you know, normally I do this podcast at some point later on this week, but going to be a busy week coming up, so I thought I'd take advantage of the day off to to get this done. Um, gosh, i got so much going on this week. Um, uh, Darcy's out of town. She's in... Las Vegas for a trade show, so um, keeping an eye on the boys, Spencer and Harry. And tomorrow, uh, I, I take a, a real—I um, don't know if it's a if it's a dip into uh, the unknown or a blast to the past, or but tomorrow I take my first college class in uh, 18 years. Um, even longer than that, I don't know. But it's been a long time. I'm, I'm decided to go back to school, and uh, I'm taking a uh, course tomorrow at Elgin Community College. So um, my college career has been quite uh, quite a journey, I guess you could say. I've gone to um, five different schools, and uh, I've accumulated probably a hundred and some credit hours. I don't know how many are going to transfer to what I want to do now, but um, I'm going to be majoring in business administration. And I really only have maybe four or five classes to have my associates. Then I'll probably take a few more community college cla classes to get a few math and accounting requirements and then transfer to Northern Illinois University to um, get my degree in business administration. Uh, it's it's going to be a bit of a long road, going to be some hard work, but I am looking forward to it. Uh, you know, getting not having a degree is is really one of the um, big regrets of my life. I, I you know, when I could go back and if you remember a couple weeks ago, I talked about having a discussion with my younger self. I think that was in the that was in episode seven about Mark Zuckerberg. I could go back to that time 25 years ago my first words would have been dude just stay in school you got a year and a half to go just stay in school and so that that's my advice to all you young runners out there who might be listening to this stay in school <laughs> you know that's why I think I'm so supportive of um, you know my kids and, and their goals in college just because it's just so important it's just so important to have that piece of paper they can't take away from you and, and they can't use, you know, they can never use having a degree against you. I mean, well, I mean, unless you're trying to get a minimum wage job or, you know, an entry level job or something like that, maybe they can. But, but you know, in your life, there are a lot more roadblocks to not having a degree than there are to having them. So uh, I want to get mine. Hopefully, I'd really like to start my own business at some point, and it'll probably be like related to running or sports performance or something like that. So, uh, so tomorrow I get started. Tomorrow I'm taking uh, Math 096. You know, I'm really good with numbers, but I haven't sat in a math class since high school. So when I went last week to take the placement test, I don't even know what I scored, but um, I scored 
so poorly. Um, I'm in a high school level algebra class, and I'm going to have to take two algebra classes before I can even move up to a college level class, which is okay. I mean, I, mean, I, I don't want to really, my goal is to, from here on out, the rest of my academic career as it is, I, I want to get straight A's. So if it takes taking a couple of math classes just to, to get myself back in that mode, then then that's fine with me. I mean, it's going to not, it doesn't change my timetable or my planning or whatever, but um, by getting these out of the way. And I think I'll be better prepared when the fall comes around and I've met a couple of uh, class requirements that I can take a class. Uh, I think I need a biology and I need an economics class. So, uh, you know, I, I'll have those done. Uh, so that's a, that's two nights a week on top of my running, uh, on top of a couple of uh, other things I have going on. So figured Monday afternoon at, at 3 o'clock would 4 o'clock, actually. My gosh, it's 4 o'clock. Anyway, 4 o'clock would be a good time to get it done. So um, today, like I said, is, is kind of going to be a, a potpourri episode. Um, don't have any interviews lined up and uh, don't have anything real super special so I'm going to tackle a couple of topics and then talk a little bit uh, in the end about training and what um, is on the mind of a lot of people at the start of the year uh, especially new runners when it comes to uh, setting their goals and stuff like that so um, so that's what today's going to be about I want to thank everybody for listening to the last couple of episodes, I was really proud of both of them. Um, you know, episode seven about Mark Zuckerberg and the year of running. Um, I myself am at uh, 40, 48 miles for the year, which is which is pretty good for me. Uh, feeling pretty good. The fact I've come um, coming off of back to back 22 mile weeks, so um, gradually getting everything uh, ramped up here. You know, in 20, 25 weeks in January is, I think, a good place to be. Um, it's just so, it was really tough running uh, this week, but uh, with the weather and, and the way it's been. But I, I think it's a really good starting point. I mean, when you look to what my goals are for the year, this is just a good a good way to, to just move into it a little bit easier. And, and um, I'll talk a little bit about more about my training down the road, but... So uh, the Mark Zuckerberg episode, a lot of people listened to it, and uh, I was real glad about that. And, and last week's episode with Matt, my interview episode, first interview episode, was uh, pretty well received also. Um, if you haven't checked that one out, check it out. I think um, we, Matt and I got a little bit long. <laughs> I really only wanted to spend about a half hour with him. But we ended up going for close to an hour. But But it was a fascinating look into... Um, the actual competition side of running. And, and we all, as runners, no matter what our level, talent level is, we're always competing. But, you know, just to get that, that glimpse into what it's like to be competing at that level, competing at, uh, you know, the high school level or when you get to state competition and, and just the mentality that you have to have. I thought, um, I deliberately asked a couple questions that, I really had never asked him before. Um, sometimes when Matt would have bad runs or whatever, I, I really wouldn't get into it about it with him. You know, I mean, I've always believed with my kids and their sports that it, it belongs to them. And, you know, if they want to talk to me about it, 
um, they do, but I also really thought it never, you know, with a 17-year-old kid, you ask him what happened. I don't know if you'd ever get a real honest answer. So a few of those things, I'd never asked him before. So you guys hearing those answers for the first time, it was the same with me. I especially liked uh, where he discussed what it was like sitting in the tent at the state track meet. I really thought that was that was pretty awesome. So um, if you want to skip through some of the stuff, but but definitely um, give it a listen and listen to you know the things about that, the mentality of running at that level, and and not only that, the the difficulty of it at times. You know, I mean, um, we all. Uh, put pressure on ourselves as runners but you know to get that um, idea of what it's like when you're running at a at a state meet you're running against some of the best kids in the state some of the best runners you ever ever run against I mean if, if Matt runs until he's 70 years old and I hope he does he's never going to run against that type of competition I mean, unless he dedicates himself to running and, and becomes you know some sort of semi-sub-elite athlete, which I think he probably could be, but, you know, he's never going to run against guys like that again the rest of his life, and, and so to have been in the mix like that is uh, is pretty awesome and a place that, that none of us will, oh, chances are, went or will ever get the chance to go, so give that a listen if you can. Um, got a couple of big news items. Um, I actually joined the world of Hoka's. The other day, Matt and I went out shoe shopping, and uh, a couple people had told me about Hoka's, and and my good friend Brent uh, swears by them, and so I wanted to give those a try. So I went out and and bought a pair. Um, like them a lot. Like them a lot. Um, the one thing about being a heavier runner is that I, it just feels like sometimes if I'm in a lighter shoe, it almost feels like I'm not just going to the street. I'm going almost through it you know when it, that feedback into my feet and in shorter runs and races I like that I like that that feedback and that feel but for longer runs and especially working up to a marathon I definitely want a shoe with a lot more cushion and and so I, I, I got a pair of Hoka's I loved them loved them and the only problem is um, I've gotten a couple of blisters um, one reason and I'm just gonna come you know try and see what I can um, fix about that one is I wore some thinner socks and um, they were a pair of socks that, that were really thin and sort of had a vent to them and the, the blisters on both my feet are right where those vents are where the socks really really thin so I think it's that and, and I didn't put more my orthotics in there I just wanted to see how they felt without them so uh, I think I'll be able to com combat my couple of issues with that um, you know soon and Really, really looking forward to training with those. Uh, I went nine miles yesterday, which is a story in itself, so I'll get to that in a second. But went nine miles and afterwards felt great. I mean, my legs just didn't feel like they'd been pounded the way um, they are sometimes. And I just felt like I felt a lot of uh, stability and just a lot of cushioning. And, and like I said, for being a big guy, that, that's, that's something I need uh, for now. So another big item is that I made up with the treadmill. Um, I, if you follow me on social media or 
um, anything like that, you'll you'll know or you do know that. I mean, I just I broke up with the treadmill a long time ago. It just to me, it's boring and just, oh my gosh, I just loathe the treadmill. Um, it just I just can't you know when you have ADD, you can't run on a treadmill for very long, you know because. Um, you know, you, you got to keep looking, you end up looking at that thing and two minutes, seem, you know, um, seems like five minutes and, and it just, yeah, I, I just don't, I just don't like the treadmill, but didn't have a lot of options yesterday. Uh, it was zero degrees outside and 20 below with the wind chill. And so my options were to run outside, which wasn't going to happen. Um, I could have done 72 laps of the track um, which I wasn't looking forward to either, or a combination. Actually, I went in with a combination of a track treadmill sort of thing. I was going to jump on the treadmill for as long as I could, and then um, when boredom set in, I was going to go to the track. So, um, so I sort of made up with the treadmill a little bit yesterday. Um, it, it's still a, a very contentious relationship. Um, I'm not going to say right now that, that we're back together, but um, had a good run on it yesterday. I uh, got on there just in time for the start of the um, Broncos Steelers football game, so I had that on the TV and um, just rolled on and got to, you know, the treadmill shut off after an hour, so I had to restart it. I ended up running um, nine miles in an hour and 37 minutes which um, is about a 10.50 pace. So, uh, and, and that included, I, I took some walk breaks, and sometimes they were necessary to kind of regroup and um, get, a, get a drink of water. Another couple times, I was just bored. I, near the end, near seven, eight miles, I was just, I, I was reaching my threshold of uh, boredom. And the football game wasn't very good at the time, and, and so I was just really trying to grind out, grind out those last couple miles, but um, but I finished them, I got it in, so um, I'm happy about that. And and overall, I think, uh, you know, I, I I still think I'm on track to run about a 2:15 or better at the Viking half, which is 10 weeks away, and and um, that's a moderate goal of what I'm shooting for. Obviously, I want to run my um, my goal race is going to be in May at the Mini, but um, the Viking is probably about five, six weeks before. So I think that's a good uh, race to see where I'm at. I mean, if I can run 10, 15 pace or something like that at the Viking, I'd be really happy. And, and really, that's only, what, about a six-second per mile improvement uh, each week, uh, maybe even a little less than that to run 2.15. So... You know, overall, I think I'm exactly where I need to be. Um, one of my goals going into the year was to be more consistent, which uh, I have been with, you know, two two good weeks. I think the next step, what I need to move into is um, need to start doing a little bit more with fueling, a little bit more of, of hydration strategies and things like that. As I've been working my way up mileage-wise, I've just been, you know, drinking water when I'm, you know, when I feel like I need to or and I haven't used any goo or anything like that. So I think I need to start working on um, introducing that again to 
to the process, uh, you know, with goose and Gatorades and a drink I like to refer to as the Brian Cell. Uh, I know I've talked about Brian Cell on this on this podcast before, but he's probably one of my all-time favorite runners. And he used to run, he used to make this concoction, um, which I'm going to call a Brian Cell. That's what I'm going to call a drink. It's a combination of Gatorade and Red Bull. And I've tried it before, and it's, and it's really, really good. Really good. So, um, you know, he would use that actually running major marathons. So I figured, you know, I'm going to give it a try. I've tried it a couple of times. I've liked it. I think it has really helped. And I think I can give it a name like Brian Sell because if Arnold Palmer can have a drink named after him, I think that Brian Sell can as well. So that that's going to be my next step this weekend. I'm going to move up to um, about 10 miles for my long run. Uh, hopefully the weather's going to be better. They're saying mid to high 30s, uh, which I can live with. Um, there's a chance of snow this week. If it doesn't snow, I'm going down to um, down to Wheaton and run on the prairie path down there because it's flat and it's soft surface. And my shins are starting to hurt a little bit, so um, I know I need to get back onto the uh, soft surfaces again. So um, hopefully it doesn't snow a lot. Most of the snow's melted away here as it is, so hopefully it doesn't snow a lot and I can go get a good run on there. What I also like about it is it's flat, so it gives me a little more of an indication. I mean, all the halves I'm going to run this year are, are pancake flat. So um, I know in the end, running these hills around here uh, is, is good for me, but um, I always want to see maybe when I run on a flat where where I'm at for that so um, so that's what I'm planning on doing one thing I did this weekend besides my running is uh, I saw the documentary run for your life which uh, I highly highly recommend it's uh, basically about uh, New York City Marathon founder Fred LeBeau and it, it was it was just an interesting thing I, I learned a lot about Fred that I that I didn't know. Um, I mean, I know he had founded the marathon. I know he had uh, built it into what it was before he he passed away in uh, from brain cancer in the early '90s. But I really didn't know how Fred did all this. Uh, you know, you look at the first you look at the first New York City marathon in 1970. It had 45 runners, and half of them uh, didn't even finish. You know, so. Fred did. That was one of only two New York City marathons he ran. Um, but uh, yeah, it was just uh, it was just four laps around Central Park, and that was it. You know, and to see what he built, um, you know, before he died, and what the marathon, the New York City marathon, what every major marathon has become since then, I'm starting to realize that you know his thumbprint. Here, 20 some years after his death, 21, 22 years after his death, his thumbprint is still on all major marathons. And, and the one thing I, I didn't know about, about Fred was just he was really ahead of the curve, really ahead of the curve. You know, the, the 60s and 70s were for, you know, and, and a lot of people lament they wish they could go back to this, whatever, but the 60s and 70s were very competitive. And you just didn't have a lot of casual runners like you do. And not even casual, but just citizen runners, I guess. You know, most of the, the people who ran and competed had run in high school, run in college, you know, um, 
they, you know, were, were training like crazy and training groups and, you know, working and, and running 100 mile weeks and, and, you know, living on ramen noodles and all that other kinds of stuff. That is a nice uh, romantic period. Uh, I love to read about that. I love to read about the guys who uh, were running at that at that period, like Bill Rogers or even the great Steve Prefontaine. Um, you know, you read about those guys, and and definitely there was a lot of a lot of love for the sport there. But um, Fred really was the guy who started to take it from the serious runner to everybody you know and i didn't know this i i thought i thought the the marathon was really um what he spent most of his time with but it turns out he you know put together new york roadrunners club he started um you know the fifth avenue mile he started all these different races that are that are still around uh, but i think one of his biggest contributions is the fact that he got women involved and that that to me i think is um maybe the most important thing um i don't know if you, you if you guys really um knew a lot about the history of women in running and it, it comes down to back gosh what olympics were it was the olympic games in the 1920s where um i think it was the mile or the no the 800 where a couple of women uh collapsed after a race in hot weather and so all of a sudden the olympics were like well women can't run further than 400 meters so basically if you were a woman for between the 1920s and 1984 when um the marathon was finally uh, the women's marathon was finally um put into the the marathon or the olympic competition you know they only could run quarter mile half mile it's it, it, it didn't make sense it didn't make sense and um you know i really wonder what uh how many good women runners were were lost in that period you know whether whether it was marathoning whether it was um any distance milers i just it just boggles the mind you know and, and maybe it's because i'm uh i consider myself an enlightened cat and uh and it's also 2016 and and i guess i also look at my mom who was was still is actually at 78 but my mom fantastic athlete fantastic athlete you know and her brother you know she had a brother who was an all-state basketball player she you know he played minor league baseball her other brothers were good athletes and um my mom really didn't have a lot of opportunities and and that was really unfortunate at the time um, I really think if my mom came along now, if my mom came along now, she'd be a Division One athlete. That that was how talented I thought she was. I mean, I I played tennis against her in high school, and I was 16, and and she was in her 40s, and she was whipping my butt. So um, she was definitely a baller back in the day. But but you know, I really the the debt of gratitude that women runners you know should owe to people like fred and, and Catherine switzer especially Catherine switzer and you know who uh who decided she wanted to run the boston marathon and and she did and and you know i'm, I'm glad that she and jock semple who was the the guy that ran the who was the marathon organizer at the time i'm glad they met it made amends um before he passed but 
you know, the fact is, if you've seen that iconic picture of him trying to come up on her and take her number away and do all this other kind of stuff, in 2016, that, that's just, there's so many things that happen back in that day that are, that just seems so ridiculous to us. And, and the one that women could only run up to 400 meters is just unbelievable. Unbelievable. But, you know, so to get back to that... Um, you know, race promotion, and, 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 he, and he started doing women's-only races. He started out with women's-only races, and they proved really, really popular, and then women started running. He allowed them to run the New York Marathon, and, and you know, I don't think it's any coincidence that that, that was about the time when, uh, you know, Joan Benoit was coming up through her college career and, and made the jump to the marathon, and, and it's like, man, if that hadn't happened for another 10 years or so we might have lost out on Joni Benoit which would have been really unfortunate because um, I, I think even though a lot of runners have beaten her time uh, people like Captain Dureba or um, Paula Radcliffe a lot of people have beaten her time but she's still the standard and, and I, I truly believe that but um, you know so there were so many roadblocks for women and, and Fred was one of those people that knocked some of those roadblocks down and so there's definitely a, a um, you know, a debt of gratitude that that uh, we all owe Fred for. But you know, that was a big thing. I, I think as he was taking running from um, just those that small group, and and it's it's amazing to think that uh, when you compare, say, New York, the New York Marathon in 1980 with um, Boston and Chicago, and the number of people who ran those races. Um, you discover that, that the New York City Marathon basically dwarfed um, all of them. So forgive me for a second. I'm getting a little more comfortable. But. <laughs> um, you know, and, and it also made the careers of a lot of people, you know, especially with the media and television coverage and, and what it did for the career of, of Bill Rogers. I mean, obviously... Um, with a nickname like Boston Billy, that the Boston Marathon was what made what made his name, what what made him famous. But it was winning the New York City Marathon four years in a row that took him into you know that higher stratosphere, you know, and and so um, that that really made uh, marathoning I think um, a lot bigger because Fred paid uh, appearance fees, he paid. Uh, prize money and, and he started doing a lot of things that weren't being done at the time and I, I think you know like I said if, if you think back to um, you know what the running world is today and you think back to where it was 30 40 years ago Fred's the godfather Fred is is the one Fred's the person that um, really was the one who took this to this level you know and and I think it's great because Fred wasn't a very good runner. And up to that point, and even now, um, a lot of races are organized by people who were great runners. I mean, Kerry Pankowski with the Chicago Marathon, fantastic runner in his own right. You know, All-American in high school, great college runner. I think he, I think he's run a, a 225 marathon, something like that. Um, and Kerry gets it, so I'm not saying this, but a lot of, a lot of races were were and are still organized by um, guys who were elite. Fred was us. You know, Fred, when he ran that, that first 
New York City Marathon in 1970, he ran four hours and 12 minutes. The guys I ran with, Fred, used to make fun of him because he was so slow, you know, and he would just go out there and he would just grind and, um, you know, and then, uh, so he was one of us. And, and that, that's, I think, what might have driven some of his ideas and everything like that. But, you know, all in all, an interesting guy. Um, you know, he was very harsh and, and demanding at times. And But, you know, as somebody who worked for him for a long time said, she said, you know, Fred could be all these things, but none of us ever left. And I think that's just when you have the love and respect um, from people, you know. And so Fred, unfortunately... Uh, in the early 90s, found out he had brain cancer, um, lived longer than was originally uh, predicted. You know, they said he had six months to live, and he lived for another four. Uh, he was finally able to run his own marathon in 1992. Um, still, you know, cancer ravaging his body and, and uh, you know, 60 years old, he still ran 530. So five hours and 30 minutes, and, and so that, it's still just what a great accomplishment that that was. And unfortunately, he, uh, he died a couple years later. But no doubt that, that Fred's legacy is solid in this sport and somebody that, um, you know, we should all look up to and, and all, you know, show a little bit of gratitude because I, I really, again, I really do think that the racing world is what it is, and the running world and the running community is what it is because of, you know, guys like Fred. So uh, definitely check that documentary out. Uh, it's about an hour and a half long. Um, I got it from iTunes, so, you know, um, it doesn't take a lot of time to watch and, and uh, really, really teaches you a lot about the history of running, which I will always um, support. So anyway, check that out. Next item I want to talk about was the um, retirement of elite runner Ryan Hall. And um, I don't know if a lot of you know Ryan Hall, if you've run um, marathons or things like that. Uh, you know, you probably have heard of him. If you've run New York, you know, he's always been um, big with uh, the New York City Marathon. But uh, he announced his retirement the other day. Um, you know, the probably fastest American marathoner ever, for sure. Um, I don't know if greatest, um, greatest is a, is a weird term, you know, because the, how do you rate that when it comes to runners? Is it, is it rating them based on how many wins they had? Is it rating them based on gold medals? Is it, you know, how do you rate greatness? And so, um, you know, he's definitely the fastest. Um, I think he's up there in the discussion of um, one of the greats, you know, uh, Rogers Shorter, um, you know, Khalid Kanuchi, Mev Kapletsky, you know, people like that. He's definitely, he's definitely up there. Um, you know, so he's 33 years old. He, he, you know, decided to retire just because uh, you know, he was used up, I guess is the best way to say it. He just, his body couldn't take, um, you know, the level of training necessary to run the way, um, the way, you know, you need to, to be, to train and to race at, at a, an Olympic level. And, you know, I was a big fan of his, still am actually, and I'll, and I'll get into the reasons why, but, you know, you look at this, what, what this guy did and, uh, you know, 
first, uh, you know, twice he ran the Olympic marathon. He, he was the first uh, American-born runner to break 60 minutes in the half marathon. So, you know, let that sink in for a minute. 60 minutes, he ran 59.43, I believe. So he broke 60 minutes in the half marathon. And, you know, I mean, for me, I mean, my gosh, my, my marathon PR is 142. And this guy beat me by 43 minutes. That's, that's like eight miles. That's how much he beat me by. Yeah, you know, so, or something like that. Something ridiculous. Maybe five, maybe five miles. But just something ridiculous like that, you know, I mean, to break, to, to run, you know, 13.1 miles in under a half hour. So, um, you know, so he became the first American-born runner to do that. And he ran under two hours and ten minutes for the marathon, I believe, eight times. Um, won the 2007 uh, Olympic Trials Olympic Trials Marathon uh, for to run in the 2018 in Beijing. And his career best was an incredible day at the Boston Marathon where he ran 204 58 um, perfect day he was in a perfect place when it came to training and um, you know and and they got a headwind and and he really uh, pushed the pace for the field and, and though he only finished third that year um, the two guys who finished ahead of him gave him credit for really pushing the pace that day but you know Ryan was a, a guy who ran with a lot of integrity um, you know, was very well thought of uh, in the running community, and and you know he always, uh, you know, trained hard. Guy trained like a beast. If you want to go to YouTube and look at some of his training videos, they are unbelievable. And maybe in the end, that might have been some of his undoing, where he'd go out and run, uh, you know, 15 mile tempo runs at world class marathon pace. I don't know if that's you know the most conducive thing to do, but and uh, not to mention he would do it at 10,000 feet altitude. So. Um, just just a guy who who gave it his all and and that's I think um, a good thing about him but you know one thing I didn't like though I mean you want to talk about his training and, and racing is um, you know there was a there was a runner's world article about it that it, that Ambie Burfoot wrote and I didn't really like it and if you haven't figured it out yet if you haven't if you listened to me for two three weeks I'm kind of you know I'm not as mad at the treadmill but I think Runner's World has kind of replaced them in who I'm uh, who I'm mad about because you know Amy Burfoot says in in this thing um, you know uh, let me read a couple of paragraphs um, he said during his racing days Hall actually won only a single marathon the 2000 ra 2007 Olympic trials race yet his competitive fierceness elevated and inspired us because it recalled our greatest champions. And he kind of mentioned some stuff, and then he said, and and he said, uh, Hall ran with with a bravado, which is why we rallied so eagerly to his side. The generation of American marathoners before him had lost the fire. They ran cautious, steady races far behind the East Africans, content to eke out a 10 or 15 second PR. You could call them smart, but you couldn't call them heroic. Hall, on the other hand, ran boldly. He joined the fray and dared to be great, even though he sometimes wasn't. Now, you know, I don't know if I can, if I can, am I, um, do I have the credibility to talk about this? I don't know. Um, Amby Burfoot does because, to his credit, he won, um, you know, Boston in, in 1968. He was a good runner. Um, 
So I, I guess I'll I'll try and and look at his point of view. But you know, I think to say others didn't race boldly just it, it's not fair because the thing is, you know, Hall ran that way because he was supremely talented. I mean, to to sit there and question other runners' hearts that that just it, it's crazy. It's crazy, and and I don't know how you can know or associate yourself with elite marathoners and actually think that way. Because it just look, Hall was supremely talented. Hall was just Ryan Hall was just as talented as the Africans he raced against. You know, and and look, you know, I I just like I don't understand whether it's Andy Burfoot, whether it's it's this, whether it's that. That, that people think that, that the reason American marathoners, you know, run the times they do is because they don't have the stones to get up and run with the East Africans. Well, you know, it doesn't take having stones to, you know, why why go out there and burn yourself up if you know in the end, you know, and you guys know as runners, you guys know as runners that you get what you put into it. And you also realize that there's no such thing as a race day miracle. It's not like a guy like a like a Brian Sell or uh, or Dathan Ritzenhain or or any of these other guys were gonna go out and pop a 205. It wasn't gonna happen because they didn't have the talent to do it. They had great talent. They had enough talent to run as Olympians. You know, Dathan Ritzenhain had enough talent to run 207. But Ryan Hall might be the only runner, the only American-born runner of the last 10 years or so that had the talent to get up front and run with those guys, you know, and, and just to question that the heart and the stones of these guys who go out and lay it on the line when they run a marathon, it's just, it's a slap in the face. And, and I, I really, I really don't understand why somebody who is, who is as integrated with the um, running community would make some sort of comment like that because number one, Ryan Hall was supremely talented. And number two, he could also take a lot of chances others couldn't because he was pretty well off financially. You know, he had a great contract with ASICs. He was getting paid appearance fees. So whether he went and ran the Africans and blew up or not, that check still cashed. You know, if he got $100,000 during the Chicago Marathon, which he did, you know, and he went out and he ran with the Africans for 20 miles and blew up and they, and they found him passed out on the side of the road, he still got his $100,000. There aren't many American runners with the talent or the pedigree or anything to get paid $100,000 to show up at a race. So he had that going for him, and, and that doesn't change. I don't think the money made him race like that, but it sure made it a lot easier. You know, I mean, he could run differently from guys who, who needed that check. You know, there are a lot of guys, there are a lot of guys who run between 210 and 212 or something like that who you know, need that check. They need that money to keep their running careers going. So they, you know, maybe they could say, oh yeah, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to run 208. But what's wrong with knowing what you're capable of and going out and running that way? You know, Amy Burfoot will, will write, a, write a thing about smart racing and how we're not smart if we go out and we try and run this heroic race and we fall flat on our faces on the side of the road. No, that's not how we're supposed to run, you know. Run your best 5K. So, you know, what if that's what these guys think they need to do? 
Because there's a difference between running for fun and running to make a living. And if you want to run to make a living, there's sometimes with some of these guys where self-preservation needs to be the, the, the thing of the day. You know, and, and but but just that doesn't mean they have any less heart. That doesn't mean that that they don't have the desire that Ryan Hall did. They just flat out weren't as good. You know, Ryan Hall, his talent level was so much higher than everyone else's. And that's why he's Ryan Hall. That's why 20 years from now, we're still going to talk about him. But, you know, I, I was I've been around the sport of marathoning and, and I've met elite runners and I've seen how they think. I've seen how they race, you know, and. And you, you look at a guy like Brian Sell, went out there and ran as hard as he could. You know, Dathan Ritzenhain, again, run 207. Meb Kofleski keeps, you know, keeps, keeps competing hard. Meb's supremely talented, too. And I think it's just really kind of crappy, especially when you look at the way Meb ran a couple years ago at Boston, where, you know, he took the bull by the horns and went up front um, and won the race won the race, leading the last 18 miles. Most of that he ran on his own. What well, wasn't heroic about Mev? You know, I and and so, you know, that's just not fair. You know, and one guy I'm really excited about now is a guy named um, Luke Pasquedra. And, uh, you know, he he's a guy in mid-20s, went away from running for a while. Um, kind of got his head together, kind of got a good... Uh, a good um, you know, uh, philosophy on his running. And, you know, he ran 210 at Chicago uh, back in October. He ran um, a 61-minute half in uh, in Houston. And, and Luke's a guy that has that kind of talent. You know, it, it, it's just, but it's just, it takes a special kind of person. Um, the reason, you know, Ryan Hall is who he is is because he had that combination of, things he had the it factor and you know we see we see the fact that um there are a lot of east africans who had the it factor and we wonder why can't we have as many runners who have the it factor as well well you know one thing i'll say and i've always said is that the next great marathoner is probably playing soccer he's probably playing basketball he's probably playing something else you know the next the next great marathoner in east africa is training to be a runner right now. The best, the next best American marathoner may never even make it to the starting line. It's just a different world. It's just different cultures, you know. And and the other thing to really look at is as time goes on and on, and we hear about the lax doping standards in other countries, that I'm really starting to wonder how clean those times are anyway those 202s and 203 marathons and things like that, starting to wonder. I, I mean, when you hear about the systematic doping programs that were going on in Russia, that were going on in East Africa, um, there was a rumor this week that, that Vladimir Putin himself was uh, had knowledge of the uh, doping program for, for runners in, in Russia. I mean, this goes a long way into, into the running world, and, and it's unfortunate. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that, that, um, you know, the doping goes on, but like anything, there's a lot at stake and in anything in this world where there's a lot of, a lot at stake, people cheat and uh, you know, that that's unfortunate, but you know, um, the one thing about 
the U.S. though is that um, you know I don't think we're the moral standard bearers or anything, but because you know our this country's anti-doping policies are so far ahead of other countries, you know I think American racers are for the most part clean. So let's take some of those guys who didn't race boldly. You know, as Zambi Burfoot let's, likes to say, let's pump them full of EPO. Let's pump them full of all these drugs. They'll run 205. You know, and, and but they're not running clean. And to me, I'd rather have a guy like Ryan Hall or Dathan or whoever run clean, represent themselves well, stand what, you know, stand for what is good in this sport then you know pump themselves up with 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 drugs and try and go run with the africans uh, that's just the way i feel you know and and uh and i i just think that there's more um to be said for people who run within the integrity or or compete in the integrity of their sports whether it's baseball whether it's football whether it's running you know the the people that run clean run with integrity and and that's what a lot of these guys do. So, so to sit there and question their heart—that—that's just wrong. And, and like I said, I'm mad at Runners World about this, and I probably will stay mad at them for a while until maybe I see, you know, Ambie or one of those other guys at a at a race expo, and I can talk to him about it. But, but back to Ryan Hall. I think in the end, the great thing about Ryan Hall is that his com- contributions to the sport in other ways will end up being his legacy as opposed to his running. And, and that's important, too. You know, he and his wife, Sarah, they have a foundation called Hall Steps that helps the people um, in East Africa. And, and so if you go on their, you go on their website, it's called the thestepsfoundation.org. And it talks about, um, you know, the way they're, they uh, donated $50,000 to, uh, you know, micro lending you know so people in east africa can start their own businesses and you know they they funded clean water programs and uh you know matter of fact the last time they were in africa they uh, adopted four girls from ethiopia and uh and brought them home uh brought them home with them and 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 they're raising those four girls so you know hats off to them for going out there and 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 making a real difference and you know he gives his time most importantly, he gives his money. And, you know, one thing that impressed me was back in, in uh, 2011, I was covering the Chicago Marathon for Let's Run.com, and Wesley Career, who is another guy that I that I like a lot, made mention that uh, uh, Ryan had promised him um, his winnings from that race. He had promised Wesley that he was going to donate his winnings, uh, and I can't remember what it was, but it was, you know, well into five figures. Uh, for finishing fifth, he was going to donate it to Wesley in a foundation that Wesley has in his hometown in Kenya, and the money was earmarked to build a hospital. And the reason Ryan wanted to give Wesley uh, that money was because a couple years before, Wesley had had a brother who had been bitten by a snake, and eventually he died. And the reason he died was because uh, there wasn't a hospital nearby. Had there been a hospital, they probably would have been able to save him, but since there wasn't a hospital there, they couldn't save them. So, uh, you know, so Ryan stepped up and gave him his winnings. Um, so, you know, that I think is going to be, um, you know, his contribution in the end. And 
you know, Ryan Hall wore that that crown uh, as America's best marathoner for a while, and it was heavy. You know, that same 2011 marathon, um, you know, I remember Phil Hirsch, I remember after the race, and, you know, Ryan had run pretty well, um, run very well, as a matter of fact, and and Phil Hirsch of the Chicago Tribune, he's their Olympic writer, just uh, just peppered him with questions about, you know, basically, uh, why isn't he getting this done? Why isn't he running in the front? Why didn't he take, why won't he run with the lead? Why won't he do this? Why won't he, and, you know, Ryan sat and patiently answered all those questions, you know, and Phil was only sitting about 10 feet from me. And, I mean, I, I wanted to look over and shove him out of his chair because I just thought the questioning and the line of questioning was really uh, unfair, um, especially, you know, you don't ask a guy after a marathon. You don't ask him those questions in a public forum like that. You want to ask the questions, ask him in a one-on-one. Don't ask him in a big in a big thing like that. So I thought that was pretty class, classless on... Phil's part, but pretty classy on Ryan's part because he he uh, you know he he patiently answered those questions and and so he wore that uh, he wore that crown. It was heavy, but all things considered, about he wore it pretty well. So anyway, I'm off my soapbox. So I want to talk about training a little bit. Um, one thing, and I did write a blog post about this. So if you've read my blog and I'm being redundant, uh, I pre- I apologize for that, but. Uh, one thing that uh, you know a lot of people do uh, this time of year is they make a goal to run a race. Uh, they make a goal about, especially going up in distance. Um, a lot of people want to say, oh, okay, well I've run I've run five k's for a while or ten k's. I ran a couple half marathons and and I want to move up to the next step and everything. A lot of people um, tend to do that this time of year call it a resolution, call it a goal. A lot of people tend to do that. So, um, And it's on everybody's mind. I mean, I've been running for a long time, and, and um, you know, I plan on jumping to a 50K uh, later on this year after I've gotten a couple marathons out of the way. I'm going to jump to uh, to the 50K. And, um, you know, but for me, for me or anybody that's been doing this for a while, it, it's not a real daunting thing. Um you know, I mean, I've run marathons, so jumping from 26 miles to 31 uh, isn't isn't going to be that uh, that hard. Well, it'll be hard. <laughs> yeah, it'll be hard. But let's put it. I guess I guess in my mind it won't be hard. And and you know, for a lot of people who are new to this, um, I see a lot of questions on their blogs and on social media. Uh, you know, and two two questions that I see a lot is one. Um, how do I do it? And the second one is, um, can I do it? You know, the answer to the second question is really simple. Yeah, of course you can. You know, and I always like to say to people, you know, look how far you've come and since you got started and, and look at what you've accomplished. And at the beginning, that just seemed so unreachable. You know, and, and, and in the meantime, you believed in yourself and you've knocked down all these barriers and and so whether or not you can do it is really the least of your worries because you can. You know, if you set your if you've run half marathons and you set your mind that I'm going to run a marathon, well, you'll be able to. You'll be able to. You just have to. You just have to believe that. Um, so never worry about never worry about whether you can because you can. Um, how do you do it? That's the biggest question, and that's the one that probably takes a little more thought. Um, 
the easiest and best way is you know you grab a schedule from the internet or you hire a coach or you you know you join a club or a training group or you run with a charity group um you know I, a couple of years ago when i was running for um the american cancer society i, I got uh you know quite a bit of support and training from them um, we were able to train with the chicago area runners association group so you know you can uh, uh, there are a lot of ways to help facilitate you getting to your goal um, so you just have to you just have to look you know for what works best for you uh, you know some people like to train on their own other people like to train with a group but truthfully I really enjoyed my long runs when I was with a training group I really enjoyed it and I think that was part of what made um, putting those miles in uh, a little bit easier but I think the number one thing though that you have to when it comes to making a jump um, like that is you have to trust the process and I think that's the hardest thing that people um, have a problem with is, is just trusting you know so so let's say you've decided for example you're gonna run the Chicago Marathon um, if you had to go out and run 26.2 miles today you probably couldn't and there's nothing wrong with that I mean I Plan on running a marathon in the fall, and if I had to go out and run 26.2 miles, um, I think I could. I think I could get through it, but it would be very long and painful, and probably something I'd never want to do again. So, um, you know, so that's okay. You know, I think back to when I decided to run the the marathon, Chicago Marathon, in 2000. And I went for my first run, and you know, I ran for a mile and. It took about 15 minutes, and I remember coming in the house thinking, man, you know, I ran a mile. It took me 15 minutes. How in the world am I going to be able to run 25 more? But I just knew from my other athletic pursuits that you just have to trust the process. You know, it was like playing on the basketball team where we'd work on something so much, and maybe at the beginning it, it didn't seem, uh, it seemed difficult and, and everything like that, but we worked on it and we trusted it. And you worked on it at the point where you trust enough you could take it into a game. And, the, and the, it's the same concept, you know, because I ran that mile that one day and didn't know how I could keep running after that. But then 294 days later, I actually ran the marathon. So, um, and I'm not anybody special. You know, I'm just a guy who runs and, and thousands and if not millions of people have done the same thing as I have. You know, and, and that's one way to justify trusting the process because it's been done before you know um, if I if I threw out this this training program that had never been used before and said follow it I could I could understand being skeptical but if you find a training program like a Higdon a Hal Higdon training program or something like that what you have behind that is you have the the knowledge that millions of other people have used this program millions of other people have finished marathons using the program you know and I went back I I'd been out of running for a while when I ran the marathon in 13 and so I followed Hal Higdon's novice program and it's it's four runs a week times 18 weeks 72 runs and I completed 66 of the 72 runs in those 18 weeks and I finished the race that day so you know the the, the easy part of, of completing a program of any sort isn't going out and doing the running 
It's having trust in this process that it's going to get you there. And in order to accomplish your goals, you absolutely have to believe in the process. Because if you if you don't, you're going to end up getting distracted and deviating from that process. And it's going to hurt you um, in the long run. You have to believe and you have to trust and you have to know that as each week goes on, you've got to believe that you are getting better, stronger, and faster. Maybe not noticeably in any of those because it won't be noticeable. But if you turn around at the end of 18 weeks and you go back to the beginning, you'll know that in all three of those areas you did get better, stronger, and faster. Didn't seem like it at the time. You didn't wake up the day after your first 10-mile run and went, hey, I, I ran double digits for the fast for the first time ever. You know, I, this is great. You, you don't feel that way. It's just it's just a little incremental, gradual uh, process, and you just have to believe that it's happening. You know, and that applies to, you know, not just us, not just the regular everyday runners, but I mean that applies to everybody. You know, even the best runners in the world. And and you know, when a when a runner, and it's just like my conversation with Matt last week. You know, when a runner goes into an elite runner goes into a, a diamond league meet, race in Europe or the Olympic trials or Olympic final, world championship final, whatever, they have to believe that what they did along the way is going to see them through. And they have to believe along the way what they're doing is going to get them to that to that final race, to that big race that they want to run. So what they do is no different than us. You know, and, and they have the same sorts of concerns that, that we do, but they just um, trust it. You know, and living outside of Chicago, uh, you know, I'm lucky that I've been exposed to a couple of programs that have had sustained success over um, a long time uh, in high school and college running. You know, in high school running around here, um, you know, York High School is the gold standard. Um, for both cross country and track, especially cross country, and you know they're coached by a guy named Joe Newton, and you can learn a lot more about Joe if you if you ever watch the movie uh, The Long Green Line, the documentary. Very, very, very good. Um, but so you know, and he's coached Olympic runners, but um, on the high school level, over the last fifty plus years, York has won twenty seven state cross country championships. And, you know, that to me is, is incredible because Illinois is a great state for cross country. And when you win 27 state titles, uh, and, and not to mention, I think they have, um, I can't remember how many second place finishes they have, but it's a lot. Um, that It's just amazing. So you have York High School around here, and then you have North Central College, which is in Naperville. And uh, their coach, Al Carius, is just amazing, um, you know, and, and what he's churned out. I mean, they've won, you know, he's won 16 Division Three cross-country titles with 15 more second-place finishes. So 31 times over his 45-year coaching career, 31 times they've either won the cross-country championship or finished second. Um Ten times they've won the indoor, the outdoor national track championship. The most impressive uh, stat of all, though, is his runners have won um, their conference cross-country championship 42 years in a row. 42 years. 
And just like high school cross country, D three cross country, Division three cross country around here is really really good. So um, it's not like they're just a big fish in a small pond. They're in a pretty good conference for cross country, and and still they've won that conference championship forty two years in a row. The one common thread between the two of them, and I could go on all day about coaching philosophies and everything like that, is that they've created a culture and an environment where an athlete knows. If I go in here and I follow their program, I'm going to succeed. And that comes from the fact that they've created successful training programs that their athletes know that if they follow, they have a great chance of success. And both of those guys have said, you know, they haven't changed their training programs all that much over over the years because they're working, you know, and, and so they really just haven't made a lot of fundamental changes. And what that does for the athletes is they can go into go into a program and know, okay, if I want to be all state, or if I just even want to make the top seven, if I follow this program, that's going to get me there. You know, if I, I mean, obviously there's there's the talent aspect to it too. But you know, when you look at that program and you say, okay, well, you know, so and so ran this, and he was an all stater. I think that my running uh, style and my running talent is similar to his. Well, I'm just going to follow his that program too, you know. And and I even have a, a personal uh, somebody who can vouch for that is my son Matt's uh, college coach Andy Remley uh, was part of a couple of national championship cross country teams at North Central and a very good steeple chaser on the track and and post college he's run a 241 marathon so he's a pretty good runner and and I would Andy and I when Matt was running for them Andy and I would have a lot of conversations and a lot of them would stem around training and, and he even said that he said um, when he went to North Central Coach Carius would encourage the the guys that were coming into the program to look through the training logs of runners who had come before them because number one they would be seeing that they would do they would be doing the same workouts and they would know the success that those guys had in the past and you know Andy himself said I look through these training programs and I would know well you know if I did those programs just like so-and-so I could be as good as so-and-so and he said that that come there's a lot of confidence you know that comes with that and and so many so many kids have embraced those training programs and gone on to become all state in, in cross country. They've gone on to run in college. They become all Americans. They, you know, and and even Andy, you know, two forty one marathoner. Andy never ran in this in the state cross country meet in high school, and in the state track meet he only ran um, in the four by eight hundred in the state semifinals. You're talking about a guy who never ran a cross country state final, never ran a straight state track final in high school, goes to North Central, follows those programs, and at the end is 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 a national champion. I mean it's crazy, isn't it? But it's not. You know, it's just it's finding what works, sticking to it and believing in it. Because, you know, we tend sometimes to get caught up in the stuff that's supposed to make us better. You know, sometimes there is that thing that will better, gear will make you better, shoes will make you better, GPS watches will make you better. And and in the end, those help. But in the end, it's 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 about trusting what you're doing. 
and that's what makes running such a simple sport. You just have to take that program and follow it, and it works. You know. So if you're thinking about making the jump to a bigger distance this year, and you feel a bit uneasy about it or a little bit scared, that's fine, because the unknown is is something we all fear, and it's a cause of anxiety to all of us. But when you hit the road and you start training, you just need to trust yourself and you trust the process, and it'll get you there, plain and simple. So that's it for me. That's it for me and, and all my uh, all my rantings and, and soapboxing and all that other kind of stuff. Um, someday I will get back to doing a 30-minute podcast like I like promised I was going to. But, uh, but for now, um, I guess I just got a lot to say. <laughs> but uh, anyway, enjoy your week. Stay warm. Run well. And we'll see you soon.